a pitch is so much more than just the slides that you send over to uh, to an investor. It really is a reflection of you as a founder, right? Uh, certainly at the earliest stages and as you continue to grow as a company, you're being evaluated uh, not just um, as an individual, you're being evaluated as a leader. And when a, an investor is listening to your pitch, they're thinking about how does this translate to the way that they tell their story to customers when they're telling their story to uh, potential employees, when they're telling their story to other partners, is this the formidable type of person that I want to be backing with my capital? Welcome to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm your host, Logan Plaster. Health transformers, what we call the entrepreneurs that we invest in and work with every day at Startup Health, didn't get into this business to create pitch decks. They didn't start their companies in order to have investor meetings. They wanted to solve big problems in health, to heal people and help them live longer. But the reality is that often in health startups, as in much of entrepreneurship, your ability to attract the necessary capital and talent hinges on your ability to tell your story. Whether it's through your verbal delivery or your presentation deck, it's essential that founders are able to frame the challenge effectively, inspire confidence in their team, and then drive action. This is precisely where my guest today, Jared Bloom, has spent his proverbial 10,000 hours. He's the co-founder of Fourth and King, an agency dedicated solely to helping companies craft, design, and deliver fundraising presentations. They've worked with more than 200 companies now, helping them raise a cumulative $7 billion in capital. The conversation you'll hear is excerpted from a fireside chat that was held in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health Portfolio. So in addition to his general wisdom on nailing your next business presentation, you'll hear his answers to a range of tactical questions from the audience. Enjoy. Jared, really excited to have this conversation with you and uh, let's get into it. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. I'm excited. So I'm going to start by playing the devil's advocate and say, how important is a pitch deck really? Just for argument's sake, let's, can't I just be a great founder who uh, you know, has a great personality and explains what I'm building in a cohesive way? Why is this pitch presentation so critical? Yeah, for my own good, I would hope it is important. Uh, and what we have found, I mean, look, I, um, is it true that a great business is going to raise capital? Yes, it's 100% true. Um, and no pitch deck can, uh, can overcome challenges that are too, uh, you know, too big for the business to overcome. And no pitch deck can rescue a company that doesn't belong uh, in that next stage of capital. Uh, pitch deck just simply can't do that. But why does the pitch matter? Um, I mean, our feeling on this is, uh, a pitch is so much more than just the slides that you send over to uh, to an investor. It really is a reflection of you as a founder, right? Uh, certainly at the earliest stages and as you continue to grow as a company, you're being evaluated uh, not just um, as an individual, you're being evaluated as a leader. And when a, an investor is listening to your pitch, they're thinking about how does this translate to the way that they tell their story to customers when they're telling their story to uh, potential employees? When they're telling their story to other partners, is this the formidable type of person that I want to be backing with my capital? Um, and doing that with a pitch deck is often the only opportunity you have, right? That's the first impression that you're making as you're going to raise your next round. Um, and there's also, you know, it's uh, unavoidable, right? The fact of the matter is that um, found uh, this is how investors evaluate companies. 
right? And they're looking at hundreds of deals uh, every single year. And what we hear from, from investors all the time is that they're not lacking for good investment opportunities. They're looking for great investment opportunities. And it's the founder, uh, it's their responsibility to position themselves to be not just, hey, this is an interesting company I want to look at. This is a company I want to invest my precious time in to dig deeper. Uh, and the pitch deck is that first entree and your first opportunity to get into that type of relationship. Um, so no, it's not going to make or break uh, your company, but it may very well be uh, the difference between you getting with the uh, getting uh, you know in front of the investor you want to and not. Tell us a little bit about Fourth and King. What was what was the work you were doing at first round that really caused you to spin this out, and why was that an important thing to do? Um, yeah, so Fourth and King is an agency that uh, my co-founder Chris Laughlin and I started in 2014. Um, we had been working together for a number of years before that uh, at a presentation agency. Those do exist, uh, where we were focused on every type of presentation you can imagine. Uh, we worked on TED Talks. We worked on you know those large corporate meetings you see at the Moscone Center out here in San Francisco. Uh, we worked on every type of sales or marketing deck you can imagine. And of course, being out in the Bay Area, we work with plenty of startups as well. Um, Myself on the narrative and speech writing side, Chris working on graphic design, and data visualization. Um, and over the course of that time, we built up a number of relationships, both with investors and, uh, and founders who basically told us, look, there's a huge opportunity here uh, when you're talking about pitching, uh, where uh, what you have is if you're a founder, you may have plenty of people out there who, who are willing to give you advice on your pitch. I can tell you that is uh, very easy to find. But then going and implementing that advice is very challenging. There are also plenty of graphic designers out there who can take your, you know, your bullets and clean them up and make them look professional. Um, but trying to convince, you know, trying to educate a designer on, say, the difference between ARR and MRR uh, can be an uphill battle. Um, so we saw it as an opportunity to really uh, become experts in what it is investors were looking for and helping founders to connect with them uh, through presentation. So leveraging our presentation experience. Uh, with this sort of new, uh, with this specific audience that we've spent the last nine or 10 years really trying to understand. Um, and so we work with companies from seed all the way through to IPO. Uh, last year was the first time that we actually built the IPO deck for a company we had built a seed deck for, which is very exciting. Um, and we also work with uh, a number of funds as well on their fundraising. So we feel like we've developed a pretty strong uh, understanding of all three sides of the table, right? The, the founder, the GP, the LP. Um, and uh, luckily, uh, not too many companies have followed suit, and uh, we've been able to put together a nice little niche here. Well, I want to cut to the chase and jump right into what the critical components of a winning deck are. But perhaps a way to sort of get into that would be to take the negative and say, uh, just to start us out, what are some of the critical mistakes that you have seen startups making as they think through their presentation deck? Yeah, I mean, I think there are plenty of mistakes that we can talk about. I think that the two that we see uh, most often, um, number one would be, and this may sound crazy, but you'd be amazed how many presentations you go through without a clear understanding of what it is the company does, right? There's so much over contextualizing around the market, around the opportunity. There is not a clear understanding of what it is that the company does, who it serves, and why it's differentiated. Right. These sort of core parts of the deck are things that you often don't see. Um, I think the other thing that we see uh, quite often is, um, and, and again, this may sound a bit specific, but it's really critical, is data without context. 
Um, you know, I think what, what ends up happening in developing a presentation is you say, okay, this is my rough story. Here's where I talk about traction. These are the 10 or 11 uh, you know, data points that I want to share. And you end up sharing them in a way that uh, doesn't feel coherent, doesn't tell a story, and leaves the investor doing, the, doing their own work to try to understand how is this company performing. Um, and so I think what you, uh, what you end up with in a lot of cases is, uh, I often describe it as sort of a term paper, right? You spend all of this time putting together all the content that you need. You don't take the step back to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the investor to say, does this feel like a coherent flow? Are they going to follow this? Um, am I telling them the things that I want to tell them uh, as opposed to letting them draw their own conclusions? Now, Jared, I find that fascinating because the first point you made had to do with over-contextualizing, throwing too many things at them. And the second one was data without context. So actually the, the two ends of the poles in, ter in terms of context. And, and so really what you're talking about, what I'm hearing from you is balance and, and, and understanding sort of the art of uh, when to add more information and when to strip back. Um, does that sound right? That's exactly right. Um, and I think it's really understanding your own company, understanding the investor. Uh, what is their base of knowledge going in? What are the areas where you need to dig in? And what are the areas where you don't? Yeah. Um, and that's always the big part of our uh, early part of our process is understanding who is the target investor, uh, sort of building up that, that archetype or that profile. How much information do they have? How much information do they need? Uh, you know, what are their biases likely to be to make sure that you, to the extent that you are providing a ton of context, it's in areas where they need it. Got it. All right. Let's get specific. I know you have some slides that you can share, which I, it felt appropriate to, <laughs> in, in a presentation like this for you to actually share a couple slides, even though we don't normally do that on fireside chats. But to help us understand what are the building blocks of a great deck? I read a piece by you uh, online about how you prefer to think about decks in acts, uh, A-C-T-S, acts, uh, versus uh, slides themselves. So maybe you could explain that concept and then you can um, show us a, a few, show us an act or two. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think what people often do right, when it's time to, to work on their presentation is, First of all, you'll go to Google and you'll find what is the sort of 10 slides that I need in my deck or like the 11 you know, critical slides, right? There's basically all of these templates that are out there. Um, and what I can tell you is either one of them is right or none of them are right. And, and I tend to think that probably none of them are right because every presentation, every company is unique. Uh, you know, the idea that, you know, market size should always be slide two uh, doesn't make a ton of sense if you're operating in a gigantic market. I think people understand that it's a big market. There's probably something else to cover before that. Um, and so often people will start with a template or, you know, they'll go super deep into this notion of storytelling, right? Start thinking about the hero's journey. You know, what is the rising action, the climax, the denouement, right? Trying to build a pitch that way. Uh, and what I can tell you is if you try to put a denouement in your pitch, you probably lost your, uh, your investor an hour ago. Um, and so what we started to do is think about this less in terms of what are the plot points, um, or, or rather what is the, the, act, you know, the, the beats in the story, but rather uh, in terms of acts. And, and I actually do have a slide or two on that, if that's all right with you. So these are essentially the three acts that we, uh, that we prescribe. Number one is making your case, right? And I'll talk uh, just briefly about what that means. Uh, act two is where you de-risk your approach. So once you've sort of made a case for why you, uh, you are uh, not just a, a well-performing company, but a great investment, showing all the things that potentially could be a challenge uh, and, and dismissing those challenges. And then thirdly, broadening the case, right? This is what matters to investors. 
Uh, not that they're investing in a company that's growing, you know, two x or three x year over year. Although that's what you know, that, that's a pretty good start. But rather that this is the type of investment uh, that's going to return their fund. Uh, and so closing the presentation with with exactly how you do that um, is what we recommend to to kind of do third. So just very briefly, right? What do we mean by making your case, right? Uh, our belief is that within the first five minutes or less of your pitch, you've got to demonstrate a couple of things. Number one is a deep understanding of your market, right? Their investors are looking for somebody who's not only in a large market, but really understands it, has a deep, uh, deep knowledge of it and keen insights into it. Uh, a really clear explanation of your product or service, what it, what it does and what makes it differentiated and sharing some signals of success. In some cases that is traction, right? At earlier stages, that might be product milestones. What are the things that you've done uh, that show that you are delivering on that promise? Um, and if it looks like this is a lot to cover in the first four or five minutes, it is, right? Which is why we spend a good 75% of our time often working on the first 25% of the deck, uh, because this is really what sets the framing uh, for what it is that you guys are, what it is that you're presenting to the investor and why they should be excited about it. Uh, Jared, any other common uh, pitfalls for that section of the presentation? Yeah, I would say that I, I think uh, when you talk about market, for instance, Right, relying on a uh, a market size, for instance, a large number that comes from Gartner, right, might be useful, but it's easy to be it's easy to dismiss. Right, what you're looking for is uh, let's go a step deeper. Right, what makes that market tick? What are the underserved areas of that market? Uh, why is this market going to grow? Uh, these are the types of questions that you want to be answering uh, at that stage, as opposed to simply trying to check a box that hey, I'm in a like I'm in a big market. And then the question is, how do you go about this, right? There's a million ways uh, to what is slide one, right? Is often the question that people have. Um, and so one of the things you referenced this article that we wrote with uh, Stripe Atlas uh, a couple of years back, um, where we put together what we call pitch plots, which are pretty common uh, story frameworks that we've seen over the years uh, that uh, apply to different types of stories. And so uh, what I would recommend, we don't need to go through them here, but check out the piece. And I think what you'll find is, there's, uh, you can take your story, you can work through all of these beats, uh, these sort of familiar uh, stories, uh, and try to get to one that feels natural. And that's often a good starting point uh, for you to start working through your deck and then trying to go back through the checklist to say, did I do everything uh, that we just saw on that previous slide? Um, act two, when we talk about de-risking your approach very quickly, right? Uh, one of the things that we do at the very beginning of all of our processes is we sit down with founders and we ask, okay, what are the problems, right? What are the things, what are the issues that an investor is gonna have? What are the, the tough questions that they're gonna ask and how do we overcome them? Um, so if you are in a market where customer acquisition, for instance, is very expensive, you need to find a way to demonstrate, hey, yes, it is expensive to acquire customers, but they come with a really high LTV uh, and be able to present that in your pitch, right? If you, for instance, if, if you, you know, you might be in a market, and I'm sure this is common in healthcare, where, hey, there's probably about 20 people in the world that could be a customer of our product, uh, but hey, we've got 18 of them in the pipeline. Um, similarly, you might be an inexperienced founder. I doubt that's common <laughs> for anyone uh, on this call, uh, but you know, emphasizing your leadership team. So going through all of the things that could be seen as risks uh, in your company uh, and finding the right way to address those risks proactively. Uh, and then there's the process of determining how much of this do I need to put in the deck? How much of this do I put in the appendix? Uh, but all of this is part of working through that de-risking section of your presentation. And also this is where you typically find uh, a lot of the metrics, right? For the, for the company. 
how do you think through uh, what goes in the main versus the appendix? Sometimes that's a, that's a challenge to know how much to include. You, you want it to be something you can leave behind or that they'll get right away. So yeah. don't wanna, you don't want to miss out on any data. It's a, it's a great question. And, and my general rule of thumb is don't answer questions that haven't been asked. Right. In other words, if, if you expect, OK, someone is going to have this question on their mind. Right. There is this burning question that every investor I've ever talked to always asks me. Well, that's one that needs to be addressed in the main portion of the deck and needs to be done proactively because you need to control that part of the conversation. But if you're really mining and digging for risks and you find yourself, hey, I'm introducing risks that nobody has ever really identified before. Well, those are great for the appendix, because if you thought of that question, somebody might. And so you want to be prepared to answer that question with a slide. Um, but that's the type of thing you don't necessarily need in the main body of your presentation. Uh, and speaking to metrics, right, as you guys know, uh, every uh, vertical, every industry has its own set of headline metrics. It's important to understand what is it that investors are looking at. And of course, this evolves over time, right? The metrics that matter in SaaS, for instance, are seem to change every six months. So being on top of what it is that and how investors are evaluating companies in your space, uh, asking around, you know, what are the, the numbers people want to see and making sure that you're including that in that midsection of the presentation. Um, and then finally, uh, is this notion of broadening your case, right? Often what this means is you want to show people that uh, you are on the precipice of exponential growth, or even if you are not personally uh, on that path that your market is, right? Or that you have the opportunity, for instance, here's a common type of slide you might see that, hey, look, right now we're operating in this market that's uh, 1.5 billion. We introduced this new feature in 2023, and that opens us up to this $10 billion market. And by the way, that market is growing, you know, five times year over year. By 2030, we're operating in this $150 billion market. Uh, and if we continue growth on the path we're on, you know, we're a billion dollar company by 2025, right? These are the types of, uh, this is what you want to leave investors thinking at the end of the pitch. Because again, right, they're not investing in cool technology. They're investing in companies that have billion dollar exit potential. Let's let's shift our focus, Jared. Uh, you just presented a a beautiful looking deck as well as a compelling one. I think folks are thinking about the production side of this as well, and they're thinking, okay, well that's great. You have a fancy agency behind you that can design these things, that can develop these things, and, and it it's not cheap. Uh, so let's talk about your advice for a founder, how they think through. Let's say they've got limit, a limited team, limited funds, and they want to build something like this out and they can't go to an agency. We can also talk about next kind of how your agency does work, but assuming an early stage founder uh, needs to do it themselves, let's talk about some of the structures that you would suggest. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my first piece of advice, and this is not self-serving, if you can afford a designer, I promise you, you will get value out of that. Uh, specifically, if you can find a presentation designer who it's a slightly different discipline from traditional graphic design, and there's plenty of them out there. Uh, but I assure you, um, if you have the money, it's worth the investment. But I recognize that that's not always the case. What is the best way to find a good presentation designer? Uh, you know, I wish there was a better way, but reach out to me and we can connect you to some great folks, whether it's us or someone else. Uh, in fact, my, my, uh, my co-founder, Chris, um, uh, runs a, a, uh, an underground Slack channel of about 150 really talented presentation designers. Uh, so we've got a nice channel there, uh, but there it's a, it's a growing discipline. I'm not a designer myself, uh, but I think people are recognizing just how important this is. And I, and, uh, and I think founders will, will find that to be the case as well. 
Now, how do you do this if you don't have access uh, to a designer? Um, I, my first piece of advice is there are a couple of activities that you can go through, at least start working through the story. Um, the first is we talked about this notion of de-risking, understanding what are the risks that uh, your company is likely to face or, or at least investors are likely to perceive. We go through an activity with all of our clients that we call burning questions. And this is the first thing we do with every client, which is we put all of, we kind of, we talk to their existing investors, which you guys can do as well, of course. And we say, tell us what it was that got you really excited about the company. Now, what are the opportunities? What are the, like, the challenges likely to be in this next round? What are the really hard questions that this sort of Series A or Series B investor is likely to ask? And we put all of those questions up on a board, or at least we used to when we would be in person. Uh, now we do it uh, slightly differently. Um, and we spend a good two or three hours working through the answers to those slides, uh, to those questions. And what we find is that um, once you have answered all of those questions or figured out where are we going to get the answers to those questions, then you can start prioritizing. Okay, these are things, these are you know, really burning questions that we're going to have to address in the pitch. These are the things that we, maybe we can start to put in the appendix. And now you start to have a collection of content, a collection of slides that you can start shifting and moving around. The next thing you want to focus on is what is the actual narrative? So we talked about the pitch plots exercise as a way to start thinking through this. Uh, there's a number of other things that we do to start getting the juices flowing, to start thinking about story. But you really want to get into this mode of structuring your slides into a story uh, as quickly as you can. Um, I think a lot of people, the instinct is to do um, outlines or to start writing in prose. Uh, it's counterintuitive, but our belief is you want to get into slides as quickly as you can. Right. You want to start, even if it just means let's, here's the headline for this slide. Here's the headline for the next slide. And then you go back and you start filling in the content from your burning questions activity onto each of those slides. Um, but you really want to, uh, this is a presentation. It's going to be uh, consumed as a presentation. It's in your best interest to start treating it like one as soon as you can. Um, as far as design itself, um, there are some basic principles that are going to be useful to you uh, in, in building out slides. I would recommend, for instance, uh, a book called Slideology uh, by Nancy Duarte. Um, it's, uh, to be honest, I haven't looked at it in, in, in about a decade. I don't know if the principles are dated at this point, but it was really when I got into this, uh, her book, both um, that book and she also wrote a book on storytelling and presentation form called uh, Resonate, which was actually quite transformational for me. Uh, I think really understanding what are the basic principles of design is going to be really valuable to you. Um, but I don't think you have to feel uh, an onus to have your presentation look as slick as you know something you might see, for instance, at you know Dreamforce. Um, but really, the basic things like uh, we want to keep uh, as little content per slide as possible. You're better off having more slides with less content, for instance, than you are with 10 bullets on a slide. I think all of these things are maybe were valuable or, or novel design principles 10 years ago. I think people tend to understand this now. Um, but really always being able to take a step back, looking at each individual slide and say, does this pass the, the, the comprehension test? Is this something that people can really understand? Uh, and also understanding the balance between what I'm planning to say and what I'm planning to show um, and recognizing that some of the things that you might put on a slide are things that you would say uh, and this don't necessarily need to be on there. Uh, also thinking about your data, for instance. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Jared, that's actually a perfect segue to one of our questions in the chat. Well, we will get back to what you're about to say just now. Uh, but let's take a couple questions just because they popped in and they're very relevant to, to your conversation. Howard Rosen, if you can come off a of mute, you can start. 
Sure. Hey, Jared, this is, this is great. And you were just leading into exactly my question was, which is why Logan used the segue, was really how do you differentiate between a presentation deck and a leave behind deck? Because sometimes you got to leave something behind and they're going to share it with their team and they've not had the benefit of your presentation. Because that's, you know, an eternal question we always have is you yeah. want graphics, you want to look good, but you want to make sure you there's the explanation when you're there versus when you're just leaving it behind to be taken out of context? It's a great question. And in fact, what we often say is there are really four versions of the presentation, right? The first is the, uh, is the send ahead, right? That's the, the version of the presentation that you are using to generate interest, right? That's often something that we expect investors are going to be uh, looking through quickly, right? So we're often taking the best of from the presentation that we have. Um, and so there's that deck. There's, of course, what we would call the partner deck, which is where you're really diving deep with folks who understand the space, uh, where you're thinking, okay, this is maybe a 20 to 30 minute presentation. It's got a huge appendix where we're answering questions. You've then got the partnership deck, right? Where now you're talking to a broader set of, of folks, some of whom are not as well initiated. You're leaning on the partner to say, okay, what do I need to emphasize with the partnership? And then you've got the send ahead. Obviously, the biggest difference across those four presentations is that the send ahead, sorry, and the leave behind, the send ahead and the leave behind are presentations that people have to read. Uh, and so as you're thinking through what goes in there, uh, in, in the leave behind, what we often find is really the easiest way to do this is to look at your headlines. That's step one, right? The, if you have a slide that, where you feel like, okay, the, the visual does tell the story, let's use the headline space to deliver the key message of that slide, right? You almost think about you're reading it like a book, you know, from one headline to the next. Um, so we often go in and we're, um, for leave behind or send ahead versions, that's the first thing we do is rewriting the headlines so that the, you know, it's sort of the key takeaway is there. And if somebody only read the headlines, they would get a sense of the story you're trying to tell. Uh, and then it's also looking at the data, for instance, right? There are charts where you're providing the context when you're presenting them, right? It might be like, you know, hey, you can see this slope in the chart that, that starts in March. That was when we hired our first salesperson. If you're not in the room, you better annotate that part of the chart and say, this is when we hired our first salesperson. Um, so really putting yourself in the investor's shoes and saying, you know, am I going to be able to follow this without someone in the room? Um, but the actual content of the presentation, I would say the send ahead, as I said, is often the best of, uh, and the leave behind tends to be the, the exact presentation that you sent. Um, just with any necessary context added back in. Um, one kind of tip that I would give you with, with respect to send-aheads, uh, and again, a lot of these are sort of minor, they feel very minor, but they go a long way. If you're going to send a deck ahead, for, first of all, it should not be the exact same deck you present, right? Because otherwise, what's the point? Uh, it should be kind of an abbreviated version of it, but also you should never use the same first slide in the presentation you send ahead, versus the presentation you set that you deliver uh, in person. Uh, and the reason for that is if you send somebody a, a presentation, they've read it, they've made their notes, they have their questions and their issues locked and loaded. And so the second you start presenting, when they see something familiar, they'll ambush you is often what we found. But if you can disarm them with a first slide that's different, uh, something kind of come at the story in a slightly different way, that puts them on their heels. And you've earned yourself at least a couple of minutes uh, for them to listen. Uh, so just something to, to think about as you're putting those different presentations together. These are great strategies, Jared. Um, I thought I'm, I'm learning a ton. Uh, I have to ask though, with four versions of a, a presentation deck, give us some strategies for 
just organizing all yeah. of this information because you know you make one update over here and you got to make it over here and is there a platform a SaaS platform that you use for this or what do you do well it's a question of sequencing right which presentation do you go first and, and we often find that uh focusing on the partnership deck is a great place to start um, because there you're talking about obviously an investor who is sophisticated but may not necessarily be uh, an expert in your particular space. If you're going to a generalist investor, for instance, obviously if you guys are pitching healthcare focused investors, everyone in the room is likely has some uh, some knowledge in, in, of your space. But we often find that that's a great middle ground, a great place to start. Uh, once you get that presentation locked and you feel really comfortable about around it, then you're pivoting off of that to build some of these other presentations, right? You have that deck and you're saying, okay, what's the 10, what's the eight to 10 slide version of this that we can use as the send ahead? Um, you know, how do we take this and then convert it for the lead behind? What additional context am I going to need when I get in front of, you know, the real expert in the room? Um, so I think for us, it's really getting that first presentation uh, in a great spot and not just, okay, the slides are done, but I can present this thing. I can actually stand up and deliver it coherently. The story works. It makes sense. Now we have something that we can build off of. Um, so yes, it is difficult to sort of do all of that version control. Uh, but the key is really getting that core presentation done um, and having you be comfortable with it before you start building anything else. Are there any technology platforms that make that version control easier that you've used or do you just you just got to stay organized with your files? Yeah, I mean, we are working generally in, in the traditional presentation software that have their strong limitations. Um, you know, there are folks who will, who will use Docsend, for instance, as a way to keep their presentations updated. Um, but yeah, there's nothing specific that we use. That's a good segue to talking about platforms. Um, people often get kind of befuddled trying to decide whether to use um, PowerPoint, uh, Keynote, Canva even. Uh, there's a lot of new SaaS platforms that are popping up. Beautiful, is that one of them? Uh, so maybe you could talk to some of the available platforms and pros and cons. I mean, I think people, everyone who's worked in PowerPoint is always looking for an alternative, um, but I often find they find their way back. <laughs> Uh, because you know what you're looking, what you get out of PowerPoint, of course, is flexibility. I mean, the three core platforms that we're working with typically are PowerPoint, Keynote, or Google Slides. That's you know 98% of the cases, and really, it's personal preference. Um, as far as design is concerned, I think uh, most uh, designers will tell you they prefer to work in Keynote, uh, but most of us are not designers. Uh, the benefits really are in workflow. Uh, I found right so. Keynote and Google Slides are really great for collaboration. Some people don't realize or don't know this, but Keynote really has real-time collaboration just like Google Slides. Uh, so you can work with other folks, you can see changes in real time. So often we recommend if, if that's you know, a priority, those are great platforms. Uh, PowerPoint, again, it's just the default for everybody and they're used to using it. Uh, and so we default to that as well. I think some of the, the newer platforms can be great from a design perspective. If you're talking about, say, a beautiful AI or a pitch, a lot of them uh, will do the work for you where you essentially say, hey, I want, uh, I'm want i building a team slide with four people and it'll automatically lay out the slides for you. Um, so things like that can be really useful, but often you know, with pitches where you do need to get specific, it often lacks the flexibility that you need. So I would encourage people to try them, uh, to test them out. And we, see, we see a lot of decks, for instance, built in beautiful AI. Um, and some of these other platforms as well. Um, but really, um, you know, we, sell, we see people, what they want to go into Figma, they want to use all kinds of other things. Um, 
the key is, can you produce a great PDF really out of it? Uh, and can you do it in a way that you know you feel comfortable that you can continue to make changes over time? Um, yeah. So it's a matter of personal preference, but there's options out there. Do you think there's any major cons to using a more templatized system like Beautiful AI or even Canva to let's say you're, you're let's say you're getting a hundred decks and you're reviewing them and they start to all look the same? Is that a a pitfall? Yeah, and no, I mean we say that all the time. You know, if you're using a pitch formula, for instance, right? Like, hey, here's the the template for slide one, slide two, and so on. If you're using a formula, you're going to end up with a formulaic pitch. The same is true from a design perspective. Right. If you're using a template, you're going to end up with something that looks fairly templatized. Um, although, look, your job here is to tell a great story. You should not be pushing pixels at two o'clock in the morning, you know, in, in PowerPoint. So you need to make that decision as a founder. How do you want to spend your time? Yeah. Um, but you also, you know, if you do have designers on staff, uh, I would encourage you to leverage them as well. How do you think through that process? Let's say that you are stuck pushing pixels at two in the morning and you need to recalibrate and you need to get back to the story. Uh, what are some strategies for kind of getting your team to rethink the whole pitch process and get into story mode? Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned this earlier. I think that it's a, it's a great activity to, to kind of take, treat your, your slide canvas in presentation software as essentially cards for an outline and write your headlines down. Literally one idea per slide. Um, you know, and, and start to kind of put those up on the wall, figure out what is the right sequence, what's missing from here, what's the most compelling way for us to make this point. Um, you know, I mentioned that you should be in presentation software. This is a really way, this is a way to stay in presentation software and do outlining. It's what I do with every single pitch. I, I don't write in prose, I open up PowerPoint. I say, okay, I wanna make this point. Okay, I have to make this point as well. Okay, now I've gotta make this point. I wanna make sure I cover this. And then I start mixing and matching and moving things around. When, when is it to, okay to go incredibly minimal? Uh, you, we've seen some great decks, some great presentations. I'm thinking of Apple, where it's just words on a color, you know? And so oftentimes I'll see founders say, well, if I don't have a designer, I'm just going to go incredibly, incredibly simple. When, when is that okay? It's funny. You know, we come from a world, uh, uh, my co-founder and I, where we would build those slides, right? We would build, you know, for... 80 foot screens, you know, this one beautiful image. And um, we would also do a lot of work with animation, right? Um, and video. Uh, and we had to train that out of ourselves because I think there is this balance with an investor pitch. We, I totally believe that it is universal that nobody wants to read a, a, a pitch that has, where each slide has 15 to 20 bullets on it and three charts on a slide. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody can really get anything out of that presentation. But at the same time, you're making a pitch for an investment, right? You're not trying to connect with someone's hearts and mind, you're trying to connect with their pocketbook. Um, and so I think that you do have to walk that balance, um, which is not to say that there aren't really great opportunities, right? If, if you are, for instance, if you are a, uh, a consumer brand, leveraging photos of people uh, and doing things like that can be really powerful, um, even in you know more content-dense slides like case studies, you know, sort of showing real people can, can, can be, you know, can be effective. Um, but this idea of just sort of having one word against the color on a slide, you better have a really good reason to do it yeah. uh, in a pitch deck. If it's just one word on a slide, it better be a really good word, right? Or a really big number that helps. <laughs> a really big number. Um, I, I want to hear from more people on the call. I know, I know you folks have questions about their own decks, things that have worked or haven't worked. So 
please drop your, you, it, can get, it can get granular. This is your chance to really talk strategy uh, with the best in the business. Uh, Jared, while they're doing that, um, I wanna talk about recession-proofing your deck and, and how one might think about um, reimagining their narrative for in the context of a more risk-averse investor. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and we went through this, uh, we've gone through this a couple of times now, right? As you can imagine, at the very beginning of the pandemic, every project we were in the middle of, the founder would come to us and say, every investor is asking me about what the pandemic is going to be for my business. And then you have to take a step back to say, okay, for your particular uh, vertical or industry, how critical is it really, right? Do you need to lead the pitch with it? Because in some cases you do, right? We were working with a company at the time that was, uh, you know, doing, um, uh, without giving too many specifics, they were sending people to your house, right? Now, obviously in early 2020, this was not an option. So for them, they had to make that the foundation of their pitch. They had to address that instantly. Um, the same is true, obviously, for increasing uh, uh, interest rates and anything else that might be impacting a business today. You have to make a decision. Is, is this something that I need to address? Is this, you know, basically the core of my pitch? that you have to make the case right up front that hey the world is changing we're in these uh we're in these challenging times we can either persevere or it's an advantage to us or is it something that really falls into that de-risking part of the presentation hey look the business is, is doing really well it's going to continue to grow one concern you might have is what happens you know in an environment x y and z or an inflationary environment what it might or whatever it might be that's something we're going to address a little bit later in the pitch so obviously, as an investor, it's top of mind. The question for you is, where do you need to address it? And do you want to make it uh, so fundamental to your pitch that it's what you end up talking about at the end of the pitch? Or is it something that you want to just make sure you're dismissing at some point later on? Trend-wise, are you finding that uh, people are more successful if they address it head on? It really depends on the company. And it depends on how their industry is impacted. Um, you know, I think in healthcare, for instance, um, there are going to be some areas where uh, the environment we're in is going to slow down sales cycles significantly. Uh, in others, right, where you're selling technology to hospitals, for instance, and, and then I'm talking about my pay grade here, it might be, hey, this is less important, right? People are going to have to buy technology one way or another. They'll figure out how to finance it. So it's really not that relevant to us. Um, so I think it really does depend on who you are as a company, and um, and there are you know there are errors you can make on both sides, right? You can make it an issue when it's not, yeah, or you can downplay it too much. Yeah, it kind of gets into the issue of just how much detail do you go into about your uh, the challenges that you face, and like you said, cr uh, potentially creating issues that weren't there already. Um, right. Let's go. Let's go to a question from the chat from Sydney Collin. Uh, from Deoro Devices. Sydney, you can come off of mute and go ahead and ask. Thanks, Logan. Um, thank you, Jared. This is super helpful um, to see and to, to kind of go through. Um, so my question, and I'll start broad and maybe get more specific, but my question generally is how, if ever, do you integrate videos into a slide deck? Um, and the reason that I bring that up is we have a mobility aid that allows people with Parkinson's who experience freezing of gait to be able to walk. And it's the, I think it's really impactful for people to see, like there's only so much that I can do to explain that a green laser line and a metronome allows someone to be able to walk who couldn't before. But showing them a video of 
you know, okay, here someone can't walk, here somebody can walk, I think creates a lot more kind of knowledge and understanding there and, and is much more impactful. Yeah. However, I, you know, sometimes struggle with having videos in the presentation. So I just wanted to kind of understand what your perspective was. No, it's a great question. What we often say is I think what doesn't work is hitting play and then all watching the video together. Um, I think it creates kind of an awkward experience, especially on Zoom. It's a bit weird. Um, but there are two options. Number one, if you believe that they will do it, is sending the video in advance uh, so that they have that context. The other option is you can show it in the room, but you just have to make sure you're narrating it, right? That you're explaining what's actually happening in the video. And that means rehearsing. It's the same way with a demo, right? It means rehearsing your talk track alongside the video so that it's exactly the same length, right? There aren't these sort of gaps where no one's talking and then you pick something up again. You have to rehearse that the same way you would rehearse, rehearse the pitch itself. It's got to feel like another slide, right? It's just a moving slide. Um, so that's what we've seen be successful. Um, and, and it shouldn't be too long, right? If you can sort of show this in a minute or so, and you're talking over the entire thing and you're explaining in detail, here's what's happening here. Here's why they're able to do this. Here's the technology behind it. I think it can be very effective. I feel like this goes back to your wisdom about a single word on a page. It's got to be a pretty compelling word uh, a very or a strong data point. So, you know, the, the video has to really has to work. It really has to be a great clip. Right. And same, same is true with the demo, right? Often they'll say, oh, do we have to show a demo? Well, is the demo going to blow people away? Or is the demo going to do exactly what people expect it to do? Right. Uh, and if it's going to do exactly what people expect it to do, maybe you don't need to show it. Let's go to a question from Michael from Augmental Tech. Michael, you can come off mute and ask your question. Cool. Hey, guys. Greetings from uh, Stellenbosch, South Africa. Um, nice just a quick, yeah, Thanks for the session, uh, Jared. It's really insightful. Quick question from my side is something that we're thinking a lot about at the moment. And I'm hoping there's some best practices, but is in a single slide, you know, what would you suggest is some of the best ways to showcase your product's differentiation? Now, is it, you're talking about competitive differentiation? Correct. Yeah. So competition is, is a challenging thing. Um, and it's going to be different for, for every company again, but a couple of frameworks that we see, I think where people tend to go is the, uh, you know, the four boxes, right. And surprise, surprise, we're in the top, right. And everyone else is in the bottom left. And I think those are difficult for people to, to make much, uh, make much sense of. So what we often recommend instead is let's do a creative grouping of the, of the companies that are in the space or the products that are, that are in the space. So if you would say there's a handful of companies, for instance, that lack functionality X, or uh, let's put those all in one group and explain what it is that, that they're missing. Maybe there's a, a group of tech where the technology is there, but the business model doesn't work. Let's group those. You have to give investors a framework for, think about like, how are they going to explain it to somebody else? You say, why is this company different? Oh, well, the one that you've heard of, they have this issue. The one that you've heard of, they have this issue. So you're giving them that, uh, that framework for understanding, you know, competitive differentiation is often really useful. And it's also demonstrates your expertise in the space that you've created this grouping and you understand the market as opposed to uh, a list of features or, um, or trying to put yourself in the top right of a four box. Now, and presenting that grouping in your mind, what would you, what have you seen works if you have those groups? It, well, so it, let's just say it is a set of companies. I think what you want to do is show them, right? The reason why you do differentiation is because 
you think an investor might have a preconceived idea that some other company either does exactly what you do or does it better than you, right? That's the reason why. And so the logos of those companies should be on the slide. So typically you want to sort of maybe give a name to, to the challenge that those companies have, right? You know, these are the, um, you know, these are sort of the, the tech, uh, the tech laggards, right? And here's the three logos. And then here's a brief description of what it is that they all lack and in common, not one by one, right? Here's another group of, you know, so-and-so. Um, so I think giving that language to people uh, that they can repeat, uh, I think is really useful and making sure that the companies that they expect to see on that slide are on it and they're addressed. You mentioned before about rehearsing over a video, making sure that it's just really seamless. And that just got me thinking about rehearsal in general and kind of how you work with companies. Um, a lot of founders, you know, are good speakers. And so they think they can just wing it. Uh, like, yeah, I got this. You know, I understand my company really well. So talk us through some strategies about rehearsal and really that um, the verbal presentation side, you know, in-person versus Zoom too. Yeah. Yeah. No, rehearsal is one of our favorite topics. It's one of the hardest thing to get things to get our clients to do, but we build it in every one of our processes. Um, and, you know, we even tell people we will do as many of these as you will allow us to do with you. Right. Like it's that important to us. And the general rule of thumb, we say, you know, basically, if you're thinking, if you have a 12 slide presentation, 20 slide presentation, you'd be, you should be spending at least an hour per slide. That doesn't mean an hour on each slide, but as a general rule of thumb, 15 slide presentations, you should be rehearsing for 15 hours uh, to really deliver it really cleanly. Um, now, who do you ask for feedback is also incredibly important. And when do you ask for feedback? So we start with when. Asking for feedback when the presentation is still really messy and you can't present it is going to get you all the wrong kinds of feedback, right? Presenting it uh, too late when you feel like it's all buttoned up and it's perfect is going to make you resistant to make changes. So you have to get to a point where you say, okay, maybe the presentation isn't fully designed, but the flow is right and I can present the hell out of it. Uh, and then you can, then you're ready to go get feedback because that's when you start to get really useful feedback. Like, Hey, you know, I didn't quite understand your point about X or, you know, I understand why you went there, but I think there's probably a more compelling data point for that. And that's really useful, which brings us to who you ask. You know, people like to, you know, they'll sort of ask their, their entrepreneur friends uh, or they'll ask people in their company for feedback. Um, what you're looking for, if you can find it, is someone who is a proxy for that next round investor. You know, ideally, it's somebody is a friendly who, you know, or somebody within a fund that might have invested in your company where you can turn to and say, look, you've invested in companies at, at this stage I'm, I'm looking to, to, you know, to raise capital in. Can you tell me you know, what you think of this pitch? And the question you ask at the end of the pitch is also really, really important. If you finish your pitch and you say, what do you think? You're going to get things like, oh, I think you should reverse slide four and slide five. Or, you know, I think I didn't really love the color on this slide. So what we always say is ask the question, would you invest? Because you're going to get a very different answer. You're going to get one of three answers, either yes, in which case your pitch is great, move forward. You're going to get the answer. Uh, yes, but only, right? Yes, but only if you could overcome this objection or yes, but you know, only if you could uh, help me understand this a little bit better or no, because, right? No, I wouldn't because I just can't get past this market's too small uh, or no, because you've got this competitor who's crushing you and I just don't see how you guys overcome it. Those are the types of things that you now know, okay, this is what I have to overcome in my pitch and this is really worthwhile feedback. 
Um, so it's really a matter of when you ask and who you ask and what you ask uh, in gathering feedback um, once you feel like you're ready to pitch this thing confidently. That's great advice, Jared. Um, I see a lot of uh, pens going and fingers typing. Um, do you ever have people record themselves and wash themselves back? Is that valuable? It can be. I mean, I think what we find is that everybody's different. Um, when we work with founders, there are some founders where I'll record a loom of myself delivering the pitch, and then they'll internalize it and then sit down and rewrite the script in their own words. And that's a great way for them to learn. Uh, we have others uh, like myself who, when I present, I don't have notes. I literally just say it over and over and over again. I'll say, okay, let me get the first five slides. Great. I've got those locked. Let me work on six through 10, got those down and then put the whole thing together. Uh, you have folks like you know my, my partner, Chris, who he will basically write down his script word for word. And then every time we rehearse, I'll take a few words out until at the end, you know, his notes are just, you know, one, one, you know, three bullets, one word each on every single slide. Um, everyone's going to do this a different, a different way. Um, but the key is just to keep doing it, right? If it helps for you to record it and watch yourself back, don't just do it once. Record it, watch yourself back, take notes on what works, do it again. Make sure you think you got better the second time. Uh, it's really a matter of repetition, just like anything else. That's great. Uh, we have, we'll take one more question. And then if anyone wants to drop a, an insight into the chat, uh, I can call on them just a, as a way to reflect back to the group, something that you've heard, you've appreciated. Shireen, I see your hand, so I'll call on you in a second. But first, we'll go to uh, Jamie Edwards from our team. Jamie, you can go ahead and ask your question. Jared, um, amazing session so far, man. Thank, thank you so much for sharing this information with our health transformers. I know everyone's getting a ton out of this. Um, are there any non-common sense tips, like something that's just so counterintuitive you think has such a big impact in presentations, whether it's the way somebody presents, um, you know, the, the concept of like, are we making friends during a presentation or are we planting a flag on a belief? Um, you know, is there anything like that that you've come across? You're like, you know, over my years of doing this, there's one or two things that you just think are key that you normally wouldn't think of. Yeah, let's see. Um, so to those things specifically, are we making friends? I think that what we have found, and maybe this is not counterintuitive, but you work with enough investors, they don't necessarily have to agree with you to invest in you, right? And in fact, they have to believe that, hey, maybe this person's got a better idea than me. Um, and so having the confidence to stand up for your beliefs, I think there's an instinct when someone asks a question or challenges you and say, ah, oh, you know, I feel like maybe this other go-to-market might make sense. You want to say, Oh, that's interesting. Uh, you know, we uh, yeah, we, that's something we can look into. But I think that's often interpreted as okay. This person doesn't really have a clear vision here. If I can knock, the, I've been looking at this company for ten minutes, and I'm knocking them off of their you know off of their plan. Um, but being prepared instead, saying yeah, we looked at that. Here's why it doesn't work, right? The sort of, and this is not confrontational. This is just confident. Um, and so I think walk, if you walk away from a pitch feeling like, man, I kind of sparred with that person, uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Great question, Jamie. Uh, Shireen from Yumlish, you raised your hand uh, with an insight or a question. I have a question. Um, so thanks so much, Jared, for your time on this. Um, one of the things that, that I struggle with is sometimes to structure that very short initial 30-minute conversation, right? So of course, there's the slides starting out, you know, maybe some intros go right into the slides. Um, how would you how would you say to format sort of that 
tight 30 minutes with getting the point across, but then also having enough time to sort of further explore next steps and interest. Yeah, and, and I think this question is a great one and it kind of ties in a bit to the evolution and the way that we're pitching now uh, with so much of this happening in Zoom. One of the things we've been hearing from investors, whereas we used to have a slide that said, hey, your pitch should be 20 minutes long, leaving 40 minutes for conversation. That number's dropped like three times in the last two years, where now we're hearing investors saying, hey, in fact, you know what, send me the deck in advance and then pitch me a 10 minute version when we chat and then let's just talk because I think it's awkward to kind of sit and watch a presentation on Zoom. Um, but a question of, of how do you structure those 12 minutes? I mean, that's all we do. So it's hard to answer that, that question um, quickly. Um, but I think being really ruthless in what is it that I need to make sure he, uh, this, uh, he or she, this investor understands before they ask their first question. And your job should really be to get that out. Because even if you prepare a 10 minute pitch, the, even the odds that you get through that are quite low, right? Because investors will stop you with questions. Um, so we talked about over contextualization, right? There's this sense when you're doing storytelling, okay, I've got to build to what's really exciting. It's a little different in pitch decks. You've got to like, got to hit that exciting point on slide one or slide two. Um, so making sure that if you say, hey, if I get cut off at minute three, have I said the most important things? And I know that's much easier said than done, but it's something to keep asking yourself, right? If you sort of feel like, hey, this really punchy moment uh, that I think is, is really uh, uh, important to, to conveying my message happens on slide 12, you may never get there. Jared, we are nearing the top of the hour. I wanna give you just 60 seconds to have the final word, piece of advice, parting wisdom for the, the founders on the call uh, about nailing that next presentation. Sure. Well, thank you guys so much again. I, um, I didn't really get to say this earlier, but I am a healthcare nerd myself. Uh, I used to. Uh, one of my first jobs was I, I managed a, um, a newsletter covering a very obscure healthcare law called the 340B program, which some of you may be familiar with. Um, and that was back when newsletters like actually were newsletters. Like I had to print them and mail them to people. Um, so this is exciting for me. Um, but I, you know, look, fundraising. I think there was a, too much messaging during the pandemic that, hey, move fast because the money's out there and fundraising is easy. Fundraising was not easy before. It was not easy you know, two years ago, and it's certainly not easy now. Um, and it's easy for me, frankly, to tell you, hey, here's how to build a great pitch deck and go out and raise a round. But the, matter, the fact of the matter is it's just perseverance, right? I mean, rounds are closing slower, certainly, than they did over the last couple of years. And I think it's easy to get discouraged uh, but just remember, it often takes dozens of conversations to find the one person uh, who's there to lead you around. And so just continuing to feel like, hey, I believe in this story. If not, not everyone does, I'm just going to keep telling it. Of course, you're making changes along the way, but I'm going to keep telling this story uh, until I find the right person um, and trying not to ultimately be too hard on yourself. But, you know, if you believe in the company, and if you believe in the story you're telling, someone will too. Jared, great note to end on. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Uh, just so much to think about. I love that you gave us some, some books to read. I'm going to be checking out Slideology and Resonate um, and, and diving deeper into this topic. So, so, Jared, I think I speak for everyone when I say thank you uh, for sharing all your wisdom. I see a lot of thank yous going into the chat right now. Uh, and thank you to all the health transformers on the call. Uh, this was uh, one of our best attended fireside chats. 
ever. Great questions um, and just great to see all of your faces. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers around the world who are dedicated to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 400 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Impact Fund, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.